0: Also, the right one on the back is tiny. Uh, good evening, John. Good evening. Welcome to North Be South, podcast about, but not about design, or about pies, to be honest, than design. Uh, but we're going to change that over the coming weeks. Uh, good evening, John. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah.
1: I had something important to tell you then, but I can't remember for my
0: life of me what it was. I had a brilliant line that I'd uh, thought up for our topic later. And I can't remember it. It <laughs> was a killer. Li- it was a killer line. This I was go- so pleased gold, with it. Isn't it. It was. I was so pleased with it. And it's gone completely. I can't even remember what bit of it it was. Uh, it was relating to. Never mind. Um, Let's hope inspiration strikes. Uh, how's your week been?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm going to start rating your weeks just on the length of sigh. <laughs> i think this that was fine. A, that was like
1: a 6.2 i mean for someone who doesn't move much during the week you know i don't go very far yeah uh i i like to have a, i like to make out that i've had a really hectic time don't i but
0: uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I think just, that's perfectly fine you know it can be hectic uh intellectually or yeah. or sedentarily yeah i think sedentarily i don't
1: think intellectually um my sister's just sent me a photograph of some pictures by david shrigley in sketch um and it's just a drawing of potatoes with the title potatoes
0: <laughs> does your sister know you like david shrigley or are you a, are you a known uh potato fan within your family
1: i don't know but her her quote to me was tick mark stab wound so
0: says a lot. It? Is, did she type that, or is that is that your interpretation of an emoji? A tick mark was a was an emoji. Stab uh, wound was
1: written. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Haven't met your sister. Uh, you have. Well, yeah, no, that's the sister from Eel Pie. Oh, oh, that
0: is okay. She seemed perfectly rational when I met. <laughs> She's an element. Ah, uh, well, okay. Good point
1: no have uh, i got a good week yeah yes um it's been okay it's been um i feel like it's been a long week but um we're cut short this week aren't we because we're on bank holiday
0: for easter well, does that does that impact you yes because it's a, a freelancer uh, okay <laughs> yes it doesn't really make any difference to me it, no it just,
1: didn't before children. bank holidays
0: bank holidays just passed me by you right. know we've still got a wedding this weekend. Uh. Um, so it doesn't really make a difference.
1: No, I'm looking forward to a couple of days off. To be honest, we've got um, mm. we've got uh, in-laws and cousins and all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, Easter egg hunts and all that. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good fun, won't right? it? Yes. Uh, what else have I done? I um I ended up buying a car.
0: Marvellous from the from the website.
1: Yeah, I've never bought a car before. Like as in brand new one.
0: How does the work? Do you actually buy it through that website, or is that just kind of a, a, a finder? Does that point you at somewhere else to buy it? Yeah, you, you then you can do it all through
1: email if you wanted to. Mm. Um, but I wanted to go in and um, yeah, so I had a, a lovely drive to Botley, which is Southampton Way. Okay, a lo- lovely drive through the countryside to there. Sorted that out. That was it's
0: exciting. Have you have you got the car? No, it takes it's being built. Oh, it's a it's a brand new one, isn't it? Yeah,
1: oh. never. Yeah, it's exciting. Hopefully, it will be with us before we go to France. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I I was I was um I was opining to you, wasn't I, yesterday, saying um I didn't I didn't have a huge amount of work on, and I had a whole yes. afternoon to myself where I did some coding, which was really nice. So i was working on this shop that I'm building, and uh, uh, it didn't last because today was. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> was
0: it yeah <clears throat> is this the client's desperate to get things done before they go away for a few days uh,
1: I don't know what it is I think it is beginning of April some things have to be done suddenly before I've got an uh, uh, an inquiry who, who, from
0: a new client
1: I don't know whether they're spending budgets or whatever yeah, yeah Um. but um. they yeah they wanted print work without me doing any of the design and I was like no I don't think that's that's what? not how it works <laughs> I
0: see. Well, you're just going to manage the print for me. Yeah, then.
1: no, I'm not interested in earning 60 quid for a load of hassle. Strange. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, it's, and it's why I don't really do print much anymore, um, which surprised mm. um, my friend from GF Smith, um, who uh, visited last week, I forgot to say, and left me with some very nice um, GF Smith goodies, including a, they call it the brick. It's an enormous. Oh, you have the brick. Yes, he thought I'd already had it, but um, I've fallen off their mailing list because I don't order print anymore.
0: You have to post a picture of the brick.
1: Yes, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's <laughs> The the perfect binding must be, I don't know, it must be 150 mil, something like that, <laughs> six ridiculous. inches. Um, it's a PUR bind. And uh, he said, said, yes, it's really, really good. The company that did it has gone bust. (laughs) And he quickly added, that wasn't our fault. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yes. But by, um, who's their studio made for thought? I think they do all of uh, G.S. Smith's design stuff. Um, Also got some good information on, you know, their their new headquarters in London. Yes. uh, How much they're paying on there. Ground rent. I don't think I a should lot. give that out, but it is a lot. No. Yes, I imagine so. That was oh yeah, lots of goodies. Um, always lovely papers. Been introduced <laughs> to an one that I hadn't heard of, well, I hadn't seen before, called Gmund. Gmund. Right. It's a German right. uh, cotton-based papers. Uh, very beautiful, very expensive, um, but really, really nice. They have one That's... called Concrete, which follows the texture of concrete. That sounds lovely. Yeah oh and and in the post yeah i got my field notes from america they said five weeks ah, but it was to. actually more like five days um, so which field notes uh was it these are the flippy ones oh of course yeah. front page they're called yep um on a kind of gray core i'd say yeah it's nice isn't it yeah they're cool with um mr what's his face
0: is branding on the front of it oh drapling yeah yeah. yeah. aaron draplin yeah um yeah, I, the only thing I wish about those is that the the backboard was a little stiffer, so I could kind of hold it in my hand and write rather uh-huh. than have to rest on something. But
1: uh, but they're look really lovely. Is that when you're being detective in hotels? Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> and you left room eighty four when exactly? Do a little sideways glance to
0: camera like <laughs> Columbo. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, what about you, sir? Uh, I had a nice little jaunt into London. Uh, Steph had a meeting. Well, she, Steph had an entire day of meetings in London. So I popped in with her, left her to her own devices to go to her meeting, and then I sauntered off to the Cartoon Museum in Bloomsbury, up near the British Museum, and went and had a look at their 2000 AD exhibition, celebrating 40 years of thrill power, I think they call it. Um, and it was... Lovely. Uh, It's really fantastic to see original 2000 AD art um, and amazing how many of the stuff that the pages, uh, individual pages that I can remember from when I used to read it 30 years ago. Um, So amazing to see how the artists kind of put things together and the amount of white out tipex and little bits stuck on and bits of tape here and there. It's fantastic. Um, Really beautiful work. Um you know, this stuff by all the great artists, Jock and Mike McMahon and Brian Bolland, uh Glenn Fabry. Yeah, you know, it's just um uh, Gibson, it was Fab. But it's very small. It's uh it's a pretty small exhibition, and I think I read everything that there was to to read and I was in and out in fifty minutes. Um which maybe that's fine. It wasn't that expensive, seven quid, I think. Um, and that gets you to the, the, the rest of the Cartoon Museum as well. Um, and then I had, I had one of those days in London where you don't have anywhere to go or you don't have to be anywhere at any particular time. So I just wandered around and it was really lovely. walked through, uh, through a couple of the parks, saw the pelicans in um, St. James's Park. Uh, Searched in vain for a Mr. Whippy ice cream van. Didn't find one. That was very disappointing. Wandered along the South Bank for a little while. Um, Yeah, it was really nice. I popped to gosh comics, bought a couple of comics. Um, And then on the way home, I popped into Richmond and went to Reagum Comics and bought another one. And then had a pint by the river and bread. So that was really nice. Um, Apart from that, uh, working on a couple of commissions... I bought, um, recently bought a Ian McHugh original, uh, illustration, kind of a birthday present to myself. So I've got, I've framed that up just in a, like frame, but it looks really, really nice. And Ian included a, a little sketch as well. So I framed that up. So I've got to, um, get those on the wall. Um, and that's, I think that's probably it for my week. Today I, I bumped into uh, – well, I didn't bump into – I arranged to meet Simon White for a pint. He was uh, he was working down this way, so we met up in Teddington uh, for a pint, so it was good to catch up with him. Um, we always joke about the fact that no, many, no matter how many times I meet him, I still have no idea what he actually does. But it was quite interesting. I'll we'll come back to that when we talk. Uh Maybe talk about creativity and process, which we're going to discuss in a a future episode, aren't we? Because that's something he kind of works with. Um, So that was an interesting little interlude. Um, Yeah, and have you been keeping up with the the important Twitter uh, news of the day?
1: No, 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 I don't really know what's happened.
0: Well, Twitter always it is the place place to go. <laughs> its the place to go for the uh, for the most important of, course, um, yeah, yeah, of yeah. the day. So today it's whether or not the chocolate on a milk chocolate digestive from McVitie is on the top or the bottom of the biscuit. <laughs> You'd think it would be poured on the top, All right. but McVitie's insist that it's put on the bottom. So that's the whole hoo-ha about... Whether or not you can put chocolate on the bottom of a biscuit without it falling off. So there you go. If you don't if you're not on Twitter, that's what you're missing out on. Blimey. me. Oh, you know. Mm. Should we uh should we do some news? <laughs> some real news. Yeah, I don't know, we, know what to say. We maybe. need to call this uh something other than news, because I, I don't think I've got any news in mind. No,
1: I and it's I've got very little because I just have no time. But the um uh well mind uh, my first one was was a little bit of what I've been up to i got got this in an email and I just wanted to um <clears throat> highlight the fact that uh design can often disappear up its own um, sphincter uh, yes i got uh, this this is a quote from the email that I got this week we have a super comprehensive post about our product design process at digital telepathy I shouldn't probably say who they are, but should I, but by our chief mindful designer.
0: Hmm. I think it's fair to call them out when they use terms like "chief mindful designer." What on earth does that mean? I don't is know. That,
1: is that a lever, Is that is that the next rung after UX
0: designer? I don't know. Maybe just sits um, colouring in <laughs> mindfully. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? The terminology that design people use. Yeah. Um,
1: Pretentious, and, that's talk, I think they were. and
0: that's to talk to other designers as well. Yeah, I know. It's I not know. like they're trying to pull a wool over the eyes of a client. In which case, you could almost understand the logic behind giving yourself a highfalutin title.
1: Well, that's what I was always striving to, you know, explore when I was in in, in the agency was to actually start communicating with each you know not only communicate with the client in a t- in a kind of language that they can understand but also mm. communicate between yourselves because then you start speaking the language that appeals to clients or you know appeals to real life people but if you start yeah. inventing terminology for all sorts of ridiculous levels of hierarchy and process it just becomes an absolute you know it's like the word what's that um ideation
0: oh Don't don't get me started. Yeah, Yeah. it's a while Uh, since I've had a rant.
1: (laughs) But yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It was it just made me sigh. I'm afraid. Sorry, sorry, digital telepathy, whoever you are.
0: Yeah. On a similar uh, theme, uh, Damble tweeted a link this week to. Anish Kapoor and uh, Studio Zahra Hadid's entry for a competition to design the National Holocaust Memorial.
1: Right.
0: Have they submitted um, designs yet? Yes. Uh, so I think all this happened a couple of months ago, um, mm-hmm. but Dan Bull tweeted the link to the Anish Kapoor one, uh, so I followed that through and had a look at the shortlist. Uh, and, you know, specifically the, the Anish Kapoor one is – is uh, it's impressive and it's thought provoking. It's a it's a huge meteorite. I don't know what it's how they're going to create this giant meteorite, but it's suspended part above and part below ground, um, and it's visually stunning. Um, but I kind of wondered, you know, what does that say about the Holocaust? And then I looked at the other entries, um, and a lot of them are from kind of big name architects or um, interpretive design agencies. Um, quite a few of them are, uh, collaborations between, so Kapoor and Hadid and, um, there's another architecture firm, uh, working with Ron Arad. Um, and the descriptions are an absolute litany of cliches about contemplation and memory. Um, and I thought I was trying to work out why this was, and it, and it kind of harks to, to that thing that you just mentioned about the language. um, and I just wonder if, if if there's no other way of talking about the Holocaust but in these kind of cliched emotive terms. You know, maybe there's no other way to frame it. Um, <clears throat> but it also struck me, reading the descriptions of the, their entries, that it does feel like the sort of design competition that all the big-name people kind of queues up for partly f- for kudos, not necessarily because they feel they've got something unique to add to the, the memorial. Um, so it's worth having a look at the, There's a, an article on D-Zine, um about it. Um, but I just want to read some quotes. So these are descriptions of the entries by the companies that have designed them. So Kapoor and Hadid said, Uh, a memorial to the Holocaust must be contemplative and silent. Allied Works, about their work, said, our proposal for the memorial is not an object, but the creation of a sacred space to serve the voices of survivors. Uh, Ajay uh, Associates and Ron Arad, our proposal aims to reveal these layers not through a static symbol commemorating the past, but through an organic living monument that evolves over time. Uh, Diamond Schmidt said the subtlety of design Gradually reveals the power of the opposing forces that created the descent into a horror of hitherto unimaginable scale and a humanity of unlimited compassion and selfless commitment. Foster and Partner said, projected images of an endless procession of human phys- figures resonate with Exodus or a human text that seems to go on forever, like the unspoken testimonies. And Studio Liebskind said, the memorial communicates a shadow that has been cast forever on the history of civilization. And if you read those and you look at the entries, you could swap them all. You could swap every one of those um, descriptions with any of the entries, and they make you know more or less the same, the same amount of sense. And it's the language that they're, they're not saying anything, are they? They're kind of talking around something. Maybe the maybe the Holocaust is just impossible to it's impossible to represent that horror through language. Um, I didn't really, I don't know. It just struck me as, I'm not sure what it struck me as. It was, was, it's weird. And I wonder the reasons why big uh, architecture and designers and artists get involved in these things. Is it just kudos or, you know, are they really desperate to to be involved in creating something that is unique? Um, I don't know. Oh, it's a very obviously a very difficult subject. Um, I don't know. You have to have a look at them and um, let me know what you think. Am I just no? I have, I have
1: I have had a look at them. I, I've been to the um, uh, the Holocaust. A memorial in Berlin.
0: Um, That's the Daniel Liebskind as well, isn't it?
1: Is it? Is that the Daniel uh, Liebskind one?
0: He um, has done a couple of others, I think.
1: Well, there's there's the museum in Berlin, and then there's a memorial which is kind of like uh, monolithic blocks mm. that you can walk yeah. amongst. Um, and in the museum, there's where the corner of the of the uh, of the walls of the museum meet leaves a tiny little gap and you can push this giant door open and stand in this really oppressive kind of triangular tall tower shape where the light just comes down. Mm. But I think, you know, in that museum, I think the most powerful thing was, you know, a pair of glasses or a children's yeah, toys.
0: Small things, isn't it?
1: <clears throat> and, um, however monumental you make these, uh, sculptures, which are, i i I kind of think they are, Um, however large you make them, it still doesn't touch on the impact that, you know, the Holocaust had on European culture. Um, and I, I I just, I don't know. They just don't. And the other thing is it's a memorial to the Holocaust, but it's in Britain and none of them seem to have any kind of resonance of Britishness or, or. Um, you know, the fact that Britain was in many ways a haven for some of the mm. uh, fleeing Jews and uh, but also turned people away and there's that kind of, that tension. Um, yeah. all, all of this is about healing and I, I don't know, it's, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's very difficult. Obviously, you know, someone has to design these, these spaces and uh, I'm sure they'll be very beautiful and poignant but um, I'm kind of with you in the fact that Whatever they say is never going to mean it. It's all all meaningless.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And uh. But I I like the the meteor. Um. It's a stunning looking
0: <clears throat> thing, but it could have been a memorial to anything, couldn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, because the meteor. Yeah. And a meteor would would suggest an an immediate thing, wouldn't it? Whereas. Yeah the holocaust was drawn out over a long time yeah. but um i i think the oppressive weight of it is 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 really quite powerful from the from the photo
0: that you sent me yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean i wonder if that is i think it touches on in a couple of those descriptions that perhaps the the thing that the memorial has to do is is put you in a certain frame of mind so that everything else can have its impact on you so all the, the other parts of a holocaust museum or memorial yeah can kind of touch you it just you know the these big kind of showy bits of the memorial are just to put you in the right place mentally to quieten you down and make you think the studio leapskinned one just looks like
1: West everything else.
0: tube station <laughs> it looks like everything else daniel liebskin's done yeah it's not, it's um, not great. No. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I, a few of them look just sort of derivative sort of modern institutional architecture. You know, they could be a, an art gallery or anything. Yeah. Right. It's a
1: difficult well, subject, isn't it? And, it um, is. and, and it's kind Sean of in the, in the zeitgeist, uh, at the moment. Yes. The Sean Spicer quote, mm. um, you know his naivety if that's the naivety at the level of government <laughs> yeah. a uh, the most powerful nation on earth allegedly um if that's their mouth spe- mouthpiece then uh, it doesn't it, it it needs to be raised more into the uh, into the um modern vernacular doesn't it or you it know does. and it needs to be debated more because that is a terrible message to send out to yeah. uh, to the world Damien hurst Yes. The Marmite artist. Yeah. Uh I love Marmite. Um <laughs> he has it. staged his comeback and um I saw this on the BBC. Uh it was like on the news it's that strange looking man with um crazy bald yeah. wild hair. Well, Gompertz? Yes. What a strange, peculiar person he is. Was, yeah. I had a great interview with him um, and a really good preview of the show, actually. I didn't realize that Will Gompertz was uh, ex sort of head of PR of the Tate group. Okay, um, and it's kind of why he, un, you know, he sort of talks art really mm. uh, naturally. Um, and that on a, on just a normal, you know, news program is really refreshing. Uh, he, he sort of eased out of, uh, eked out of. Um, Hearst uh, that he'd spent over 50 million quid um, <laughs> on this project.
0: Well, that's now, how much Hearst sold that diamond encrusted skull for, wasn't it? Oh, it sold? A few years is ago. Is it sold? I assume he sold it. Did he not? It was for sale for 50 million quid, wasn't it? Well, I don't think he
1: ever sold it, but uh, it, I, I love this project. I think it's fantastic. There are Me two, too. There are two um, uh, displays in Venice. Of a if you haven't heard of this of a collection of artifacts that were supposedly recovered from a sunken uh, ship in the Indian Ocean, I think, yeah. um, and uh, and then it's a sort of from a collector. So it's a complete backstory made up, kind of. It's wonderful. Yeah, uh, sort of narrative arc, and each piece is. Absolutely exquisitely reproduced in bronzes and stones and, you know, like the kind of thing if you're wandering around museums in Sicily or Italy, you see sort of dotted in porticos everywhere. And that's why it suits Venice so well, Um, you know, with all these Doric columns and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, a lot of them are encrusted with barnacles, but underneath the barnacles are all sorts of references to our uh, time. So... I think there are mickey mouses in there and yeah. all sorts of things i, I haven't de- you know delved into it too deeply but i'm just i, I just love the fact that there are live videos of pe- of divers down on the bottom of the ocean recovering these artifacts
0: yeah he's uh, gone to town on the backstory hasn't it's he?
1: just amazing uh I, you know i'm a, i know he's a you know some people hate him but i just think he's just so refreshing and so such a good artist I, I i love his the work that he produces yeah um and it really made me laugh when he said um at the end that uh you know he just doesn't get young conceptual artists these days
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm. No, I'm uh, that's fantastic I'm hoping to get to venice to see it really yeah oh wow I'm kind of desperate to get back to venice full stop and then when i saw this was on it just gave me an extra reason yeah it is exquisite some of the pieces. Yeah. I mean, so that's he, the uh, treasures from the wreck of the unbelievable, isn't it? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh, it's just yeah.
1: There's a oh. the, the, this thing. The demon with bowl is just stunning. A giant bronze sculpture. I mean, it's two two it's or three stories high. It?
0: Yeah. Uh, my next bit of news is uh, it's hardly news because it's sixty years old, but Notting Hill Underground Station. Is being renovated, I think, or, or they're, they're exploring bits of it that have been closed since the 1950s. There's an article on a, a Spanish or a Portuguese uh, website called letteringtime.org uh, about the advertisements that they found in this old, sort of decaying part of Notting Hill Underground Station. Uh, And they're fantastic. They're really. They must have been. I don't know if they've been covered up, or whether this part of the station has just been completely abandoned, so it's been in the dark for sixty years. But um, the advertisements are so vivid and so bold. You know, they do. They look weeks old rather than sixty years old. You know, advertisements for the Ideal Home Exhibition, uh, advertisements for theatre and films, and there's some cracking bits of design work. Uh, really lovely stuff from the 50s. Uh, I think it's fascinating when I mean this sort of thing happens quite often in London where they renovate tube stations and they find all this stuff that's been hidden away. Um, but I thought these these were really particularly lovely.
1: Yeah, to me it seems like they're almost being curated and put there because you look at ads now, or you look at old magazines and you look at ads, and you know nine out of ten are, are terrible. But here, they're all yeah. beautiful hand-drawn illustrations. Um, kind of like that shaded cartoon, yeah, late fifties style, early sixties. Is that when they were found? I or think it it's 50, even earlier than 50, that. I think it's from
0: fifty-six. Right. Yeah, I love the the ideal home exhibition posters. Yeah, and there's Absolutely one for beautiful. Uh, um, seeing. London from the River Thames a little boat one with beautiful overlapping overprinted colours really nice yeah I hope they haven't been curated I hope I haven't just fallen into a, a Hurstian hoax <laughs> well I don't know what's your Portuguese like? <laughs> terrible mm-hmm. and I can't find a an English language version of it <laughs> never mind but that's great letteringtime.org have a look at that really nice uh, any other news for us john
1: well i got this really it was my i was out for a beer with my friend nick a few weeks ago and he'd mentioned that he was like oh you've got to mention this on your uh, on your news and um i i kind of skipped it but then i i read about it today and it just made me laugh it's 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 called angel's wine tower bar and yep. uh, he was in zurich airport and and saw this thing it's a it's a fort it's a giant glass tower filled with wine bottles and when you order a wine at certain times of the day uh, wine angels appear which are ladies suspended on wires
0: <laughs> get, it sounds like the sort of thing that would appear on your fifth bottle of wine doesn't it yeah
1: yeah and they get whisked up with these uh with these wires up to get your uh your wine i imagine my ones would be whisking up about Three centimeters to the cheap bits, but um, but yeah, I wonder if they are stacked in price up to the top. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, but the um, yeah, it's a beautiful looking object, and I, I'd quite like to see them. um so I was looking, I th- thinking, oh, this is a really posh sort of uh, unique thing.
0: But it, no, it's just a radisson blue kind of. Well, it's it's a it's a thing. Full stop. I've seen them on films and some oh, right. TV shows. You know, in uh, yeah, kind of posh. Uh, hotels and things. Um, <laughs> Maybe and it's that, almost, you... almost kind of like Cirque du Soleil type yeah. stuff going on. You well, know, they're I... really bizarre.
1: The Zurich one says... Um... I quote the website: "That witness the skilled wine angels fly through this massive structure to retrieve wine selections, and then stay for a formal performance during dinner." And then I, and then I saw that they've got one at Stansted Airport. <laughs> it kind of <laughs> brings it down to earth. And this one says, "To retrieve your wine selection, aerial acrobats perform dazzling tricks in midair while suspended from the tower. You compare your wine with a sandwich." <laughs>
0: that's not quite got the
1: same lip <laughs> about it has it au revoir Europa oh dear
0: mm. yeah that's weird
1: yeah it's really weird and slightly sexist and I think it
0: probably started in Vegas do you think
1: something. I just yeah. find it really creepy and really weird I I yeah, don't I don't want a poor underpa- underpaid you know lady suspended on the wire getting yeah. me a glass of wine <laughs>
0: Uh, all with that by the way the beer is very sour but it does get I'm halfway through it now it's palatable now okay like a bad wine I've
1: got a tangle foot have you? I don't think I've uh, yeah um, it's apparently laser surgery will correct it (laughs) Uh, it's a badger a badger beer not made by badgers that would be uh, that would be probably uh, earthworm flavoured yeah uh, no, I've never had a Tanglefoot before. I've been you know, Apparently, it's legendary.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the first kind of good bottled beers you could get. Oh. I mean, maybe not the first, but, you know, sort of that kind of when bottled beers became a thing.
1: I'm having it in a tin. Oh. I'm not a fan of bottled beers. Yeah, we've discussed this, haven't we? Yeah. I think that tin beer better. Mm-hmm. Controversial. Yep. Mm-hmm. And how is it? It's very nice. It's very caramelly. Very old-fashioned kind of um, Courage Directors style beer,
0: I'd say. I was going to buy um, a bottle of Newcastle Brown Ale. Yes, it I think yes. I haven't drank that since college. Yeah, it's not that. Though, weirdly,
1: in um, when I was up in Tynemouth, they were all, all the uh, gentlemen were drinking it in half pints, which was like something back at college. Yeah, yeah. You used to get the half pint glass, yeah. didn't you, on top of the
0: bottle? You did. Uh, right should we talk about our our topic of the week yeah <laughs> uh
1: so self-worth <laughs> i don't know how we got back onto this because because we said last week that we were going to get much more technical again and not talk about the emotional side or the business side of uh of design is this more am I, have i just
0: ruined everything no, this is definitely the emotional side of the design, isn't it? <laughs> we can leave the technical stuff to to technical people.
1: No, we weren't. I can't remember
0: what we were. We were just going to talk about design more. I don't know yeah. what, How did we get onto this subject? Well, I think we we sort of talked around a, a bunch of things related to it, didn't we? About um, confidence and about you know the the type of designers that are on social media that only ever seem to do great work and Uh, a kind of brimful of confidence about everything they do. Um, And we were also talking about uh, kind of jobbing, not jobbing designers, but the the designers that do all the hard yards, really, while, you know, the the superstar designers do the stuff that gets all the press. Um, And if you can be as, maybe it's about as if you can be as happy doing that work as you can be doing a big prestigious bit of work um so it's about self-worth and confidence as a a designer i think um yes does that sum it up roughly yeah yeah Uh, So uh, i mean i started i wrote a little bit about kind of my thoughts on this and i started off with oh my god this is terrible i can't draw i can't draw today at all and this robot looks like a penis um, which are all things that I've uttered in the last couple of weeks. Um, yesterday I did draw a robot that looked entirely like a penis, and I didn't notice this until I'd finished drawing it. And then, obviously, I, I can see nothing but a robot shaped like a penis. Um, so self-doubt, I think, for creative people, whether you're a designer or an illustrator, uh, can be quite crippling at times. Um, and I think it's particularly... Um, problematic when you work alone. I think it's less of a problem when you work in a studio because even if you're working on a project on your own, you're never working on it entirely in isolation. You know, people will lean over and have a look and tell you it's great and give you a slap on the back or say, bloody hell, what are you doing? Um, I think when you work on your own, all, all you have is your own sense of, whether or not you're doing something good, I think it's really easy to fall into this little spiral of not quite despair, but lack of confidence um, about your work. Um, and I think this for me is, uh, is exaggerated maybe by the type of work I do, uh, particularly if I'm working as a designer or a production designer, um, because I'm not working on the most exciting work. I'm not, working for you know a celebrity perfume i'm not working on something for uh, one of the london's great museums you know i might be working on the logo for a wedding photographer or i might be working on some branding for a small project for uh, a local council so they're not big juicy projects that you kind of instantly imbue you with a, a sense of here I am superstar designer doing it all that, you know, they don't give you any swagger, but they're all, it's all work that's got to be done. And I wonder if, it, is it easier to kind of have that confidence if you're working on big, prestigious work, you know, can you have the same, can you have the same enthusiasm and love for a project regardless of, the client and the the esteem that that's going to be seen in by other people discuss <laughs> um I, I, I did cover quite a bit there but um
1: yeah so go back to the beginning again what was your first point
0: <laughs> oh, oh my god this is terrible well i think what i started off by talking about self-doubt is can be crippling yeah for creative people i mean i almost certainly for people in other professions as well. But, you know, we're talking about design and illustration. Uh, and that self-doubt is is particularly bad if you work alone. So how do you avoid that? Well,
1: I think that you you can't av- – I don't think you should avoid it totally because I think something about self-doubt drives you on to making things better. Mm. Um I think that a lot of designers forget especially young designers forget that they're designing for a commercial reason, and that commercial reason isn't for them um but at the same time their own creative juices have to be uh satisfied, don't they because uh that's what we feed off that's what makes us better um so it's a it's a it's a balance I think I think when you work on your own. Um, then you are either hugely single minded um or you have to allow yourself to be beaten up a bit by the client or by yourself <clears throat> and it depends mm. how how you react to that internal in those internal forces um i i don't i I don't think I was very good at that at all when I was you know you know ten fifteen years ago. Um, but nowadays I, I don't think i'm you know I, I don't have a problem with it um but then that's because i'm a sort of generalist designer i'm not a sp- i'm not a specific um specialist so i think yeah self doubt is is can be crippling but it's also you know it's about using that as a positive um and uh, and 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 trying to see through that self doubt into you know making your client happy <laughs> at the end of the day that, yeah. that that's that's with that's pure commercial design. Um, if you're doing stuff for yourself or for um your own pleasure or you're creating art, then that's a whole different ballgame. Um, and I think you're probably more that you're be- much better qualified to talk about that than, than me.
0: Maybe but, uh, that that whole kind of self. Doubt thing being almost the other side of um, self criticism, but in a it's like the, it's the needle points one way, and you're kind of critical of your work, but in a, in a positive way, in that you know, you can see what's wrong with it and you can change it and become better. And the other side, you know, the needle swings the other way and it's just kind of crushing self-doubt and, oh, my God, I'm terrible. Um, so there's a there's a balance to be had there, isn't there? And all that, I, th- I think one of the things I'm trying to get at is, does that feed into or does the, the work you're doing feed into that kind of confidence or doubt thing you know if you're is it easier to be confident if you're working for bigger clients or is it are you going to be more wrapped with doubt i
1: think that you're more likely to feel more pressure um but i i can't speak from uh from experience for that i mean i've worked for fairly large clients but i was never under you know enormous amount of pressure in terms of Uh, Sometimes I was, you know, presentations and stuff, but never enormous, um, life changing campaigns or, you know, anything like that. Um, and did I sweat over the details? Not really. I didn't have time. Um, and I still, I still, I, and I don't have time. Um, I, I see, I see my, my biggest tensions are between that self doubt and also, and time and then, Mm. um, and billing you know for me it's billing uh, i i've passed that point in my life where i really am that bothered about kudos or praise and i think at one point i was really really i hated people looking over my shoulder i hated people looking at me in the design process um because i didn't probably didn't have any confidence in my own uh, capabilities i you know i was entirely self-taught so i learned by I've, we've been through this before you know like like um on a Sunday night, picking over the chicken. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, you know that's that's how I learned how to do design was picking people's designs apart and working out how how they fitted together. Yeah. So half of the des- you know, early designs that I was doing, I was um, requisitioning existing designs and re you know repurposing them. Mm. So I had no confidence in the fact that I could do that from scratch, and it was only when I actually started doing that from scratch that I realised, yeah, no, actually, I can can do this. Um, But, yeah, self-doubt, definitely, um, you know, mid-2000s, and I really, really suffered from that.
0: Mm. Um, I think one one of the other reasons we we came to this subject is because uh, on social media, and and I guess in kind of design blogs and things, there seems to be a, a whole segment of the design industry and designers, particularly on social media, that just are not uh, racked with any doubt. You know, they exude and portray this, this utter confidence. Um, you know, all the work they produce, you know, is, is award-winning and everything is beautifully slick and they talk about it with the, you know, supreme confidence and knowledge. And I think for me, that's that's where the the thing about can you kind of feel that um, that level of I don't know expertise or can you be that confident in your own abilities or your standing if you're only working on those little those little jobs that you know all the the invisible designers have to work on, you know, as as these people are when you know when they're showing off their glitzy stuff, or is it simply that veneer that social media creates, where you you just don't see all the crap? I mean, obviously, no one posts the the rubbish, but it, it's very easy to put, to see these des- designers portrayed as you know supremely confident and kind of perfect just churning out all the good stuff with uh, this this sort of single-minded clarity of purpose and, and professionalism and where the career is and where it's going. Um, and for, for me, that, that just seems impossible. And I think it's hard not to judge yourself against those people, even though I'm not really in that business anymore. But it's the same for illustration, isn't it? It is but I think the thing with illustration is yes you know I look at other people's work and just think I'm never going to be that good but generally if you're looking at an illustrator's work you can see where the the art and the craft is and you can see where they've or how they've got to that point because you know they've been working for 25 30 years I don't know maybe it's just because I'm more into illustration now that it seems that the illustration process seems more understandable to me than design. I don't know. Or maybe.
1: Well, the design, we, we spoke about it a bit earlier. You know, it, it has a penchant for pretentiousness Mm. (laughs) Um, and it has a penchant for its own self-regard and it talks to itself a lot. Design is a far more, uh, they blur the boundaries, don't they? They they lie about things. <laughs> no, this this isn't. Oh no, I'm talking. No, I'm is this because again.
0: designers? Is this because designers have to justify or feel they have to justify what they do more than an artist or an illustrator? I think there's a level of a lot more
1: level of trust with an illustrator, isn't there? If you uh, if you're uh, commissioning an illustrator, you're often going to give them a much wider scope to work within than a designer often. Um, but the designer has to kind of build the world that the work sits within. Um, yeah. and, not, and often the illustrator is putting something into something that's already been created. Does that sound mad? I, no, know, no, no.
0: I understand that completely. I think an illustrator may be given free rein in certain aspects of the work, but the end result is a very quantifiable Thing, isn't it? You know, it's a picture of this. Whereas I think it, when designers are uh, uh, briefed, that end result isn't always a, a concrete thing, and the client often doesn't know what what the end result is going to be. Because, you know, if you commission a designer or a design agency to to rebrand you. There's a whole process of investigation that goes on.
1: Yeah, and that's that's part of the magic, isn't it? And I, I guess – and that's where it's really, really hard for the designer to um, to skip that bit out uh, because if you just end up with a very simple logo, um, you know, uh, for example, the Apple logo, the Apple mm. Um it, they they didn't reach that apple by just draw you know just drawing it on a on a screen and if the client had watched that being drawn they would have said well you know it's not really that clever is it but yeah. the process is uh, how they reached it and and what applications it can be applied to and all different objects and you know the, the sort of the infinitesimal amounts of uh, thought that goes into its application in the real world. It's very hard to quantify that, and I know we're getting away from what we're talking about. But no, but then, but then illustration is—you know—if a client sits watching an illustrator make the art, uh, they're going to be wowed by their capability, the craft, yeah. yeah, because but- they can see, yeah, they can see that being made, and that—that—that that, that is the fundamental difference, I, I think, in terms of um, the process between design and and the illustration. The the process with design is boring uh, to a client. To the outside, you know, to the normal world. It's pretty boring, isn't it? Yeah. Sitting, watching me come up with different iterations of the typefaces um, for a a brand would be really, really boring. Um, And that's why clients love that, you know... I so you know, I'm gonna trademark this phrase, but you know, the cloche reveal. They love it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I hate doing it. You know, it's this that's yeah. when I get self doubt because I'm sitting there going, Oh god, I don't know what they're gonna say. I don't and nowadays I just don't want that. I don't you know
0: it's, it's I wonder if that supreme confidence that some of these designers show Who are we is, talking about here anyway? Is, no no is no this let's like not name names. Sagmeister. Well no, I no, not even that big, you know. You know, there are people I follow on Instagram who never seem to Put a foot wrong and you know talk with the sort of assuredness of a, a a Superman um but I wonder if that's because a client is buying into that confidence yes absolutely because because you've got to have faith in the designer to interpret what it is you need and you have to trust them so maybe that veneer is is necessary because you can't you can't show a client doubt because they're going to doubt what you produce. And you, as a designer, you well, as a, again, there's a whole thing about the cloche reveal, isn't it? But you don't want to necessarily give the client an in to criticise or doubt what it, you know whatever you've come up with.
1: No, you're constantly uh, you know you're putting. Um You're putting gravel boards up, aren't you? Trying to Mm. make the concrete set in the right direction. Yeah. You, you're never just leaving it out there. I mean, well, I'm not anyway. Um, and I'm sure there are designers out there who you know take their hands off the wheel, but they are infinitely more talented than I am. Uh, I have to use a lot of uh, a lot of shuttering board (laughs) (laughs) on mine. Um, but uh, yeah, what what does that do as self worth and confidence as a designer? I think if you're young, I think that could be really crippling um i you know i've known uh, i've sort of mentored in very big air quotes uh, a few young designers and um i found that you know the things that they shy away from are often the things they're quite good at um and that they that will make them better designers and their frustration is the fact that they haven't got the confidence to to do it or they think that you should do it because you're more experienced. Um, for example, you know, making a presentation in front of a client or justifying why you've done something. That's, that's the step that is really hard. There's lots of people you can draw and design well, but there's not that, you know, I'm saying that there's not that many, but a lot of designers cannot um, articulate how they got somewhere. Yes. Or they don't know when to articulate it. They articulate it in the wrong place (laughs) yeah Um, when it's when it's either too late or they post rationalize which we all love to do
0: anyway yeah i think um that thing about um sort of new designers and how it can be crippling you quoted ira glass um in your notes for this and he talks about taste and it's your you know as a designer you should have kind of a nearly good taste and that's the reason you're kind of pursuing that
1: yeah i really uh, enjoy I, li- I like that quote i like that i think that uh, and i've said this in the past i think i uh, not say i've said this in the past i i totally agree with him i think that um good designers have good taste That's yeah. that's it you know
0: <laughs> well, yes but it, it, he also says that it's because of your taste that's why your work disappoints you because you you're not achieving what what you kind of are visualizing, um, oh, and that's yeah. that's certainly something that I find quite crippling. You know, when I'm working on an illustration, I know my mind how I want it to look, but I don't have the technique or the skills to make it look like that. So, every single piece of illustration I do is a massive compromise. And I think one of the reasons I stopped drawing for 20 years was because I couldn't get past that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'm never going to be as good as I want or need to be, and I don't know why that's changed. Maybe I just felt that, that I needed to be drawing again, or maybe because I'm older and wiser, you know, I realise that that compromise isn't uh, isn't isn't a reason to stop.
1: Yeah, I think the important quote for him there is: uh, if you're just starting out or you're still in this phase, and the phase is. Um, uh, you know why you're being disappointed by the work you're producing you've got to know it's normal and the most important thing you can do is do a lot of work um it kind of that's the uh, gladwell 10,000 hours kind of ethic yeah. isn't it um but uh, there's a more interesting yeah, the more interesting side of that is the fact that y- you look to peers, don't you? Um, you've said this to me before, you know, you see yes. somebody else's work and it just, it destroys you inside because you think you'll never be able to produce that, but you're producing work for yourself. And, um, the book of life that I'm always banging on about, they, t- mm. they, they call it the perfectionist trap. Yes and they warn uh, we become stuck in an uncomfortable paradox, our ambitions have been ignited by greatness, but everything we know of ourselves points to congenital ineptitude. We have fallen into what we can term the perfectionist trap, defined as a powerful attraction to perfection, shorn of any mature or sufficient understanding of what is required to attain it so it's that hands off the wheel screaming at the front of a of a uh, roller coaster, isn't it yeah, you have no control over over where you want to go um and it's only by chipping away and working on your your process or the the you know your your skill that you'll get there in the end um, my notes are, uh, sort of follow on from this is that the um i think if you're doing the day-to-day studio stuff then you've got to enjoy that buzz of busy a busy studio life and you have yep. to make uh, decisions all all the time it was like how much time am i going to spend on this and how long of will the client or, or how much will the client pay for it and on to the next thing if you spend all day as a graphic designer sweating the details and you're producing leaflets or you know mail outs or whatever you are going to go bust or you're going to have a nervous breakdown yeah you know uh, right there if you if you're archly moving individual letters along a baseline and it's a local press ad then you're going to go mad and i think i really suffered from this for the first sort of once i got some experience as a designer maybe you know the next five years was me doing that you know sweating the details copying other people not being as good as them and feeling really really rubbish um and i think if you want to do something specialized like illustration and you have to prepare either for well or all, all of them failure prepare to be poor and prepare to work really chuffing hard um yeah. because you've got to get to that point of of what you know um ira glass says you know you've got to get to that point of do a lot of work and suddenly the you know the blue sky will be above the the gray clouds as it were yeah yeah um and i got good, my good analogy is footballers Uh, You know, I think, you know, most footballers aren't premiership players um, and most footballers aren't even centre forward. So when you go score a goal as a normal footballer, it's very sweet. And that's how I feel. Uh, I I must admit, in the last few years, I feel really, you know, happy with my lot. I can do my work, you know, not with my eyes shut because that would be that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah I've got some really clever a- <laughs> algorithms that I've written uh no but you know i I have satisfaction in the fact that I know that I work at a certain pace and I can get through the work and that's it um you know i'm not building uh you know i don't know <laughs> I'm not yeah. building the Empire State building I'm building houses on a on on a housing estate but you know people are living in them and using them and clients are happy and uh you know i'm exceeding their expectations and that's all i i really need but yeah yeah. i think
0: that is it you have to sort of there's a level to every piece of work you do so
1: mediocre uh,
0: mediocre though doesn't it It because not everything is a is a game changer is it not every bit of work is a masterpiece and it doesn't have to be but, you know, you do your best. Like you say, you exceed the client's expectations. And if you're going to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to who you were, not everyone else out there that, you know, might have been doing it longer than you, you know, might be doing it in a different way so they're at a different stage. You know, just, just compare yourself to where you were months ago or years ago and see that you've made that progress and, you know, know that you're doing good work be inspired by people but not inhibited
1: no yeah exactly yeah and 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 i don't think there's and i think it's unhealthy for you for young designers to slavishly follow tropes or design trends uh Mm. sure learn how the mark you know the really good designers classic designers did things and copy them that's fine um but stop following tutorials and things like that I just don't think they're useful as designers I just don't yeah. think you know learning how to make something in Illustrator um, you know a crown or a star or whatever it's just you know learn it yourself <laughs> it's not yes. difficult because um, you'll just waste your time copying stuff um, that isn't that good do you know what I mean I, Yeah. I, I don't know that's that's not really anything about self-worth is it um,
0: well I think it probably leads to it doesn't it <laughs>
1: Yeah. But, you know, if you if you work in a busy studio and it's really frustrating and you really hate it, then you need to think about specializing or going into something, you know, becoming something else, because that is studio life. You know, it is fast paced. You know, it's like being a bit of a, you know, maybe like a working on the pass at a busy pub you know, restaurant or whatever, yeah, yeah. stuff's going out and you hope that it's, you know, you've cooked it well. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's, you know, in two hours time, it's dinner. And, you know, the next day it's breakfast and you just got to keep it going.
0: Yeah. That
1: I've really taken the art
0: out of this, haven't I? No, 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 no. I think it's <laughs> remarkable, the analogies that you've come up with. <laughs> Football, pub food.
1: Yeah. Well, what I Grand. said last week we're talking to, uh you know, I don't know who we're we talking to.
0: No, remind me who we're talking to. John. We're talking to each other, Rob. Yes, that's it. Uh, have we done that to death now? <laughs> well, have you got
1: they anything should... else to say? Well, I mean, how do you feel? I mean, you, you've obviously, you're, you are I think it's really interesting to, no, I'm not going to say really interesting, but you have moved back into illustration after 20-odd years of not doing it. Um, and do you feel you've got like sort of the... Ba- the um, the backup and the kind of maturity to not feel crushed every time you look at some of your own work or do you feel the same
0: way i feel i'm maybe just starting to get there now yeah i mean i never worked in illustration you know i was a kid who drew stuff um so i'm kind of getting into illustration now and uh, i'm learning i'm still learning how to draw um you know there's a lot of things i can't drop people talked about that a lot um but particularly uh, how to you know form and texture there's a lot of things i'm still learning um and i know i'm better now than i was three months ago or a a year ago so i definitely know i'm making progress um but it's slow and i I do have that struggle of still seeing other people's work and just thinking you know am i ever going to get to that level but then you know you see this is something you see from illustrators and you don't see from designers but you see illustrators who I think are absolutely staggering talking about you know a struggle to complete a piece of work or you know they they have a day where they can't draw so it happens to us all which is why you shouldn't slavishly compare yourself to others I think that's I'm just beginning to learn that but it's difficult
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, the perfectionist trap is a really great term for it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Don't fall into it. No, do not. It's spiky down there.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, have we got a website
1: of the week, John? I've got one. It's really geeky, this one. It's called www. that means it's a web page. Uh, Is it VATable.com? Com? (laughs) I was doing some quotes today and some things you can charge VAT for and some things you can't in print. It's insane. Yeah, it? it's really, really crazy. This is a great website. It's really, really well designed. I know it's, it's really very, very niche, but you just type in what you're producing. So a leaflet and it just says yes or no.
0: Yeah, it's like some, you know, leaflets are... Posters are—I've probably got those the wrong way around—but tickets are, uh, uh, raffle tickets aren't. You know, it's really obscure and kind of archaic, isn't it? What is and what isn't?
1: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, ch- ch- you know, yeah, like orders of service not VATable, but order books and forms VATable, microfiche VATable, but monographs not VATable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane, <laughs> but that is a really good. Uh, so sorry VAT
1: website. is uh like sales tax in the UK yes. and uh some businesses charge it uh and some businesses don't I, I do um I don't and, and if you hit a certain level of income you have to I don't know what it is 84,000
0: yes 80 like around, yeah. <clears throat> yeah good website uh, my, my website of the week it relates to something we touched on a couple of weeks ago, which uh, was the, the photographer who'd taken all the pictures of the British wartime coastal defences, uh, which are these kind of slightly haunting photographs. Uh, and this is a, a photo essay, essay in wired.com about Kip Schmidt which is an abandoned Soviet-Siberian military installation. Um, I think it's been sort of derelict for, I'm not quite sure, years, 20 years or something. Uh, And the photographs are just amazing, all these snow-covered ruins and wrecks and aeroplanes and tanks. Uh, And I just think they're fab pictures. And I love stuff like that. So that's well worth looking at. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. Kip Schmidt on Wired.com. Cool. Yeah. Uh,
1: pies. Well, you better
0: introduce them. Well, we both have the supreme champion pie from this year's British Pie Awards. Um, and I think we were we we're both a little disappointed to discover that it's it's – pretty much a bog standard pork pie that you can buy in a supermarket yeah
1: um,
0: so I don't know the ins and outs of the judging of the British Pie Awards so I don't know if if they you know unwrapped a pork pie and tasted it or whether they were judging a fresh version of this pie um, but it's just a standard little pork pie um, I'm having mine with um, Branston pickle this this week. Um, Counterpress pickle is uh, is too good for uh, for this pie.
1: The pie the pie is Dickinson and Morris.
0: Yes, it is. Sorry, I didn't name that, did I? Available Dickinson in Mel, Melton Mowbray pork pie.
1: Yeah, uh, I bought the mini ones
0: for a okay. bit of, a bit of difference. I've got the slightly bigger one. Yeah, uh, and I'm going in with a bit of pickle. So talk amongst yourselves. I'll be honest, I had one of these a couple of days ago, and I was a bit disappointed, but it was straight out of the fridge. This has been out of the fridge for an hour or so as we did the podcast, and it's much nicer. It feels kind of more moist, and there's more flavor to it. The pastry's pretty good. It's got a real good flavor to it, the pastry, um, and there is a little bit of jelly, um, but I'm a bit underwhelmed. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an alright pork pie you know, I'd be quite you know, happy to get it in a, in a picnic But aren't we
1: back to self-worth And the whole, <sighs> I think where you were trying to lead the conversation Was the, uh, you know, the award-seeking designers um, They all pay for it, don't they? Dickinson mm. and whatever they are, the solicitors um, They've paid for this, I'm sure, surely Do Do you think? Oh, I don't know. Are you
0: suggesting there's, this a, there's a degree the, this of corruption?
1: This is not the best pie in the world. No. In Britain, even. Um, no. So I'm going into my one. Uh, you know, these can be quite disappointing, the mini ones sometimes.
0: Mm. Have you got jelly? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, that's the, that's the best thing about the pie, the jelly, I think. The jellies are excellent. Really
1: peppery yeah. pork, really nice. And the pastry is really good. Bit greasy. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's a good pie. But is it the best in the world? No. No, No, it's not.
0: Um, Are you going to score it?
1: I only give mine a seven.
0: Oh, mine's only getting a six. I've Mm. had much better pork pies. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. My daughter enjoyed it. Well, that's good to know. Uh, I did appreciate the video you sent me of uh, eating and uh, pronouncing pork pie she well, has very good diction
1: apple clips um is uh equally as useless as siri in my opinion <laughs> uh i think it's my mumbling accent um but siri doesn't understand me and um certainly clips doesn't understand me because it just comes out with a load of old nonsense and she said uh, she said pork pie and it came out um yeah yes apple which is rubbish. Whereas um, Alexa on my new Fire TV stick mm-hmm. gets me every time. Maybe it's just being
0: designed with your accent in mind. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Are know. you enjoying
0: the Fire Stick, by the way? It's brilliant. Yeah. Good. That's all I need to know. Mike well. Forty quid. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, what are you up to
1: this weekend, Jonathan? Oh well, we are. Um, we're going to the in-laws for Easter.
0: Delightful. Will so you be dressing be a, as giant bunny? Not this weekend, but... It's uh, oh, uh, a
1: uh. <laughs> What about you? What are you up
0: to? Uh, wedding Saturday, and then Monday going down to Cornwall for a couple of days to meet up with a friend, a wedding photographer a friend who lives down in Cornwall now. So we're going to stay on Fistral Beach in Newquay, which I'm looking forward to a lot. I haven't been to Cornwall for... I don't know 15 years very nice uh i imagine it'd be quite busy <laughs> east Easter monday in cornwall um but yeah that'd be nice staying in a nice hotel so it'd be a nice little break have a lovely time thank you very much and you enjoy the easter eggs and yep. um it's been lovely t- lovely chatting to you what's yeah. next week
1: uh Typography. 50, 50 episodes we best get a good pie I'm going to get, like, a, a champagne. Should, well, you should bring a pasty back, really, shouldn't you? <laughs>
0: I guess I should. Yeah. All right, mate. All right, really Have good to talk to you. You too. Have a lovely Thank you weekend. you for listening. And you. And uh, talk to you next week.
1: Cheerio. ta Ta-da.